Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid, just walk with your Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today we have on Jim Breslow. He is the creator of the Hidden Truth Show, and right now he has a deep dive into AA Kills, as well as he did a deep dive in the Las Vegas shooter and uh, transgender movement. Uh, so Jim is the creator of Hidden Truth Show. You can find it on YouTube as well as on many podcasts. He is the, um, let's see, he's a former civil rights attorney and a public company president, radio broadcaster. He hosted the Jim Breslow Show late nights on KRLA 87 AM in Los Angeles and Casino Talk with Louie Anderson weekends on 97.1 free FM in Los Angeles. Currently, he is the host of Hidden Truth Show and founder of Realcast, a new media company. He has appeared as a legal expert on CNN and Fox and KRTV, KNX, KABC, KFI, and KRLA. He recently gained acclaim for the landing, the first ever sit-down interviews with Bruce Paddock, brother of the Las Vegas shooter, which I watched this morning Oh, boy, I, I'm going to have to listen to the podcast to hear the rest of that one. And Sophia Hutchins, the transgender partner of Caitlyn Jenner. Well, I'm going to have to listen to that one, too. That's on the Hidden Truth Show. Uh, he was a partner at international law firm Safeforth Shaw. And he had, was president of Diamond Game. It was a publicly traded gaming company that provides lottery machines and tickets. And he is the author of 12 patented inventions in the gaming space. He graduated from University of California, Irvine. And without any further ado, we're going to bring Jim Brizzo on. Hey, Monica. Hi. How are you? Hey, I'm good, good. How are you? Thank you for covering that. You you forgot my horoscope and my favorite color. <laughs> What's your What sign are you? <laughs> I'm a Pisces. You couldn't figure that out by my background? You're obviously no, not a strong I, astrologer. Oh, I used to be really into that kind of thing, but you know, I kind of dropped that. You know, uh, <laughs> but I, I, sometimes I, I, I like guess to mock it. it. Actually, yeah, it, no, it, it can uh, be fun. I'm but a, I'm a healthy skeptic of it. Right, I like the Chinese stuff. Is actually a little bit sometimes more 
better. I found out about that a little later in life. But, yeah. Um, right? I, I don't know. But we, yeah, can, we, can, a, we can discuss that another time. I have so much I want to talk to you about. First of all, I want to thank you for not only having me on your show, but doing your deep dive into Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, now, I know why you did it, but um, could we just, because I want to touch on actually some of the other stories that you covered, and we do have a whole hour but can you tell me why you chose to do uh, a show that was called AA Kills and do a deep dive into AA? Yeah, well, thank you for thanking me for doing it, because uh, <laughs> I, I do think that more people need to expose AA. You've been doing a great job of that, and yeah. I was a healthy skeptic of AA going into the deep dive, but I didn't know what I was going to discover in Mm -hmm. doing it. And in doing it, I learned that there are lots of skeptics out there, a surprising number and lots of great science behind it. Mm -hmm. But the word still isn't getting out to your average person. I still believe that the average family whose teenager they discover has a drinking or drug problem, the first thought is, oh boy, we better get them into a 12-step program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once they get them there, they, they figure they've done their part, right? They get them into AA or, or sorry, to a rehab that's a 12-step rehab. And they think, well, you know, if that doesn't do it, what are you going to do? You know, and then they go into tough love and the next thing you know, they're kicking the, the kid out. I was, uh, I'm rambling a little bit, but I was thinking of the movie, um, I think it's, is it Beautiful Boy with Steve Carell? Yeah. Have you seen yeah. that? Yeah, I did see it. Yeah. Um, you did see it. Yeah, that it's like homework. I go was, see those movies like homework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, and it's all based on a true story, apparently, written by um, the father. Right. But I think the, the, I think the son has also, is also now works in treatment programs. But that movie kind of demonstrated, frankly, I thought, how poor 12-step programs are because they show the kid going in and dropping out and going in and dropping out. But at the end, it didn't really give you any good message, I didn't think, as to, well, what should you do with your kid? Clearly, it didn't work in their case. I mean, the the kid became estranged. The father ends up kicking him out of the house. The poor kid is, like, living on the street and begging his dad to come back home. But the only thing the dad knows to do at that point is tough love. I'm like, man, you know, not only do I not really believe in the 12-step programs at this point, I'm not sure I agree with this whole tough love thing necessarily where you kick your kid out of the house. I mean, this kid has an an addiction. He has, whether you call it a disorder or a disease, but this is a medical condition, in my opinion, I think you agree, a medical condition. I I do. Uh, Yeah. yeah, So so, so here's your own child suffering uh, a medical condition, and the father says, no, you can't come back home. Yeah, like would they do it if he had cancer or something? So I, who did he get the advice from is what you know, I w- always want to ask. And if the, the parents wind up going to Al-Anon, then there is now Al-Anon for – and Al-Anon is like the sister program to AA for families and friends, which has never really grown. It's not very, gotten very big, thank God. But it is they, – they started one that is strict for parents. And I remember thinking to myself as I was doing, I don't know, one of these shows that – Bill Wilson never got thrown out by Lois. He was a grown man. He was cheating on her his whole life. But she put up with his sorry ass, didn't she? And yet it's evolved that they are telling parents to do this. 
and which brings in the whole treatment industry and rehab and and who runs it and how many steppers are in it, mm. which, you know, I mean, that's always going to be the topic in the main thing. Yeah. It throws in the shame-based element of it and the enabler element of it because I, I think you would know better than me, but Al-Anon may say that a parent that would accept their child back, even though they continue to use and abuse, is an enabler. You're, yeah, you're yeah that is what they would the say. House. Yeah, you're enabling right. them. And, yeah, and, and that's all the part where people get kind of sucked in is that – so the parents are – if they throw them out – then they wind up in a meeting, and when the pe- when they go into that meeting with all these strangers and they get love bombed, everybody's mad at them. Even maybe they, maybe they have no friends anymore, and so that really is set up for that brainwashing and people getting sucked in because they're like, "Oh, we love you too, you know, so you can love yourself and let me hug you." Yeah, and it, and that person is really, really hurting right then. And I'm with you, whether we find out, like, you know, I think it's a behavior uh, and a disorder right now. But even if that, if it is that, then why are you treating it with a book from the 30s? And why would you throw your loved one away? So you've got Al-Anon, which is this program to help loved ones to to work with them. But, but what are they teaching them? Are they teaching them about... Uh, the various medications that are out there, the fact oh, that no. there are treatments available, no. that there's, no, there's no, counseling no. They're involved. They're teaching you it's a family disease. Yeah, they're telling him it's a family disease, Jim. I mean, can you imagine someone? What's a family disease? Like, what the? I'm like, guys. <laughs> there's no yeah, such well, thing as a family me, disease. You mentioned that we may touch on other things, but it reminds me of the transgender movement. Because one of my big questions when I entered into that deep dive was your yeah. five-year-old boy. Your five-year-old boy comes to you and says that he wants to be a girl. He feels like a girl and this and that. And what should a parent do? Well, what are they being taught to do? The American Academy of Pediatricians just came out with guidance about six months ago Mm -hmm. as to what that parent should do. And the long and short of it is the sooner you put a dress on that boy and change his name to a female name, the better for the boy. That's basically what they're teaching. And it's wow. absolute BS. But that's the that's what's coming down from those associations because it's been hijacked by the LGBT activist community that wants it to be perfectly natural and normal to change your sexes fluidly. And so that's what's the edict coming down. But that is absolutely the wrong advice based on many, many experts that I examine uh, that I talk to, including yeah. transgender people. And right. that is not yeah, that's the you know there's a there's a specific cause for gender dysphoria and and there are ways to treat it and it usually goes away, but, mm-hmm. but changing your boy to a girl at five years old is not the way to respond to it and so you know I just think it, it's similar here where it's just bad advice going out there and it's sad because especially as we look at you know with the opioid crisis and so on and so many mm-hmm. people suffering from addictions and to see. The uh, intelligent voice is being crowded out by this cultish voice of AA, and that's why I called it AA Kills, because even though on the one hand that's pretty harsh, and I don't intend to be harsh, I don't want to be mean or in, in any way, and I feel horrible for, for addicts, but I felt I wanted to say something kind of startling because it does kill because its success rate is so low but people are choosing that, you, you know, to zero-sum game. You pick that or you pick something else. And since everybody's being funneled into that, 
90% that it's not working for, yeah, AA does kill. We know people die from alcoholism and, and, and drug abuse in, in the hundreds of thousands in America. So because it's crowding out everything else, it, it is actually killing. Right, right. Really good point. And I do appreciate it. I know I've said it already, but because your show is so professional and really high level, we talked about, like, now Trek's on, why isn't there – you know, somebody doing a commercial about that, like the one for the smoking for Chantrex. And I know that you're going to have on, um, I saw Claudia last week, you're going to have on Claudia Christian, who is a real expert in the Sinclair Method and the use of that. And I, I'm with you. I, I'm kind of ready to either, I have, a, I have an ad, like one bench ad for my film, The 13th Step, which, by the way, is finally streaming back. It took a lot to get oh, it back good, up. Good. I'm glad you warned me, but they were doing the whole thing. Yeah, it's on Amazon, and they're like sort of cleaning up their platform, and they've added a lot of things, and they wanted us to re to make it a smaller file and re-upload it, but it really it was kind of a bear to deal with, but it's finally up there. But back to your point that either, you know, if a group of us got together, people like myself who put ads for SMART, like SMART is the biggest alternative face-to-face -face meetings, and although many people don't want meetings, I think into our culture doesn't think we need them anymore, right, or a place to go. I think when you're younger, maybe you want a place to go and to be with other people. But that a billboard would be really great. You know, like if AA, you know, AA not working, let's try an Aldrexon. Ask your GP, you know, your general practitioner. Well, um, I, I thought a lot about, yeah, I thought a lot about naltrexone since talking because I wasn't aware of it until I did this deep dive. I, I, I work it into any conversation I can with people uh, at, at appropriate times, and I've yet to run across somebody who was familiar with it. Okay, so that'll show wow. you how little people know about naltrexone. Uh, which for your listeners probably all know, but it's this medication that you can take that when you drink alcohol on it, you don't get the mental effects of the alcohol. And so, you know, I was kind of scratching my head about why isn't this more known, but it seems to me, and, and you, you probably know better, but it seems to me that when this drug was first introduced, um, it was, it, it was, you, you were supposed to stay um, abstinent on it. You weren't supposed to drink Right, so basically, oh, really? it was supposed to be a pill that you would take. Yeah, but you were not supposed to drink. And I think the reason for that was a couple of things. Number one, AA says you're not allowed to drink. Right? Yeah, yeah, they you, you have to be 100 total sobriety. So mm -hmm. AA may say, oh yeah, you can take that pill, but you know you can't drink with a pill. Number mm -hmm. one, number two, it, it takes away the mental uh, um, effects, but apparently not the physical. So it's still not a good idea to drive if you've taken naltrexone. And then you drink. If you have three or four drinks on that, it, it will still impair your driving ability. So I'm thinking the manufacturers of this drug don't want to market the fact that, oh, yeah, you can drink all you want with this medication. It's true you won't get the drunkenness feeling, but apparently it will impair your motor, motor skills. Correct? Uh, you, you know, I, I don't know. I just know that it's supposed to, and it doesn't work for everybody. I mean, I, I know that the, like when Gabrielle Glaser wrote her book, Her Best Kept Secret, like she went all the way to Finland, and I know that Claudia did to, inter, you know, to interview uh, the, the gentleman, I forget his name, the doctor that's been doing the research, where it's supposed to decrease your desire for it. So if you are a heavy drinker, and it isn't overnight, like I know a guy who was told me he was drinking like 24 cans of beer a night, and his he actually decreased, decreased. Like it was really a plan. He took it one hour before he drank. 
Um, it's, it is a way to do a, uh, a taper, they call it, uh, a beer taper uh, that you could decrease, decrease, so that when you completely quit that your detox is going to be way easier than if you're drinking a, um, a fifth a day or a pint a day of, of hard alcohol and then you just stop and even do a Librium detox. It is better to taper. And uh, But anyway, to answer your question, like, I don't know. I know it's like, you know, for a woman, I can have one drink and drive with a meal. You know, that's it. And then guys who are, you know, bigger guys uh, maybe can have a couple safely. But, uh, you know, I, I think really, honestly, is that AA has such a grip. Um, you know, not just AA in New York, which is a big organization, which has millions coming in. It's that AA has gotten in, infiltrated everywhere into such a degree that when you go up the ladder, you're going to meet a stepper, whether you're at the L.A. Times or whether you're at a downtown. You're going to meet a judge who's one, a lawyer who's one. You're going to meet, you know, like I said, Chuck Lorre, who has like five shows on television who's one. Um, you're going to meet maybe a CBS uh, executive. I mean, it's just so – and then up the state, you know, we have a governor. You know, Aunt Richard – what's her name? Richardson was an outed stepper, meaning – you know, she says it. They just admit it. They don't want to hide it anymore. You have the mayor of Boston who ran on it, who stood up at the Democratic National Convention in 2016 and said, my name is whatever, and I'm an alcoholic. And the, the audience really didn't laugh because the truth is, like, they didn't know what the hell he was doing. But he won being using his AA label. And I'm just like, uh, you know, it almost is, like, difficult, but that's why it was so meaningful you know to actually think there was a like-minded person like yourself and your producer in the same city as me and i didn't know you were here and i was like oh my god i'm not alone you know um yeah and <laughs> i felt the same way talking you're... to you yeah and you know but yet you've been on cnn and and fox maybe you could even talk to sanjay gupta about just no on and have claudia on or something i don't know but more i agree with you and maybe now that we've all met, Claudia and I are getting together and have some ideas that maybe you could be in one of those next, you know, meetings with she and I about how to change mm -hmm. it, you know. But I would, do you want to talk about one of the other uh, – could we talk about the Osega shooter? Because I want to talk about a couple of these other topics that you uh, took on. Sure, do the sure. Osega so, shooter? Okay. Wow. Yeah, so, so the, the Bruce Paddock, tell us – yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, that was, that was the first one that we did. We were looking for controversial, unresolved issues of our time that are kind of getting pushed out by the uh, mainstream media that doesn't have time to deal with them because they're fascinated with Trump. So, you know, <laughs> as we know, if you watch CNN, MSNBC, yeah. or Fox, you're getting 98% Trump news, and right. it pushes out real news. So here was right. the Las Vegas shooting. You know, it had been two months in and largest mass shooting in American history, and we knew virtually nothing about this guy. We didn't even know, you know, we, you know, how many people were involved, how many shooters were there. There was anyone you talked to who was at that festival at the time of the shooting, you know, the 15 to 20,000 people that were there in the crowd, every single one of them thought it was multiple shooters. Wow. Um, you, you know, they, they felt that they were being ambushed. They were, they were under attack. The, the sheer number of bullets felt like it had to be more than one weapon. None mm -hmm. of them assumed that it could have been from uh, from the hotel. They all thought that the attackers were on the ground. So it was wow. absolute mayhem there. And their experience was not limited to the 10 minutes of the actual shooting. That's that's how long the shooting took place, was 10 minutes, 1,000 rounds. 
by the way, uh-huh. approximately half of the thousand hit someone. So 500 uh-huh. people were hit by bullets. Uh, oh, my 58, God. I had no yeah, idea, and I watched a lot of news on that, yeah. Oh, this was fish in a barrel. This was absolutely yeah. fish in a barrel. If anybody's ever in Vegas, if you go to Vegas, you know, and, and you know, it's just a little morbid. But but if you want to examine it at all, you can go caddy corner to Mandalay Bay, and and the whole festival is still essentially set up. I mean, it's not a ton has changed. It's still an empty parking lot at this point, with I think some grandstands there and so on. But if you stand on that corner and you look up at the Mandalay Bay to the 32nd floor and, and see yeah. where he was perched, they were sitting ducks. I mean, there's there's no better yeah. situation for a guy who wants to do what he did than to be where he was shooting down on that crowd. So he's firing down. He, he had, you know, 22 rifles in the room. All of them had this um, special uh, mechanism on a bump stock, they call it, mm-hmm. which allows a a rifle to become effectively automatic and they just finally banned bump stock uh, a few months ago but it's this little yeah. feature that you can put on it that then turns the thing into essentially automatic and the reason he had 22 rifles is that he planned on killing a lot of people and he wanted to jump from one to the other and they're kind of known for jamming so he wanted to have plenty of rifles and plenty of ammunition <clears throat> to go from one to the other so but you know he shoots for 10 minutes and People are fleeing, going this way and that way. And, and But for them, they don't know what this was, who this was, how many people this is. So right. for people on the Strip, this lasted like – this was like a three-hour event for them. Mm-hmm. There was fear mm-hmm. and panic and pandemonium on the Strip for about three hours. Anytime anybody would hear any loud sound, they assumed it was more shots. So you had reports of shootings going on at all kinds of different casinos up and down – the strip as people are pouring into one or the other hearing different things and so on. And they're calling these in and police are being deployed. So as I said, it was a scary hour. Yeah. Mass pandemonium. And that's why for for them, it's very hard for them to believe that this was just one guy acting alone on the 32nd floor of Mandalay Bay hotel. So we did a deep dive investigation into all that and things were coming up as we were doing it in these police reports and statements and so on. And then as recently as just a month ago, the FBI finally came out with their report mm-hmm. and their report pretty much jived. A lot of people were very critical of it because it took them over a year and all they did was came, come out with something that was two and a half pages long. It's like, God, come on guys. You know, we've heard, you've been telling us that you've got a thousand agents on this thing that you've got, 50 different FBI offices investigating this around the world, and all you released is two and a half pages. Um, so they were working for it with the Trump-Russian investigation, or they were on leave because the, the government got shut down. You know what I mean? It was well, so bad, like Fox, for a couple of months. So, like I, oh, yeah, I was sorry. I was on Laura Ingram's show on Fox News to talk yeah. about the FBI report, and yes, I can tell you that the whole Fox News angle was to really criticize the FBI for this paltry two-and-a-half-page report. And I think the underlying tone of it was supposed to be that, yeah, here you're spending all this time, energy, and effort, you know, investigating the president. What were you doing for the largest mass shooting in American history? Now, I didn't happen to buy into that line 
of thinking. I know that the FBI was investigating it very thoroughly. They did investigate yeah. it very thoroughly. There's no question. Where they came up short was only releasing their 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 simple conclusions. They had like ten conclusions that they came to based on their investigation, but there was no meat behind it. So, for instance, ISIS claimed responsibility for that shooting. They said yeah. that this was an ISIS-inspired shooting. They said it twice. And they uh-huh. said it through. They said it through their primary PR channels. I think it's called something like Nasser or something like that. So when they when they claim it through the official ISIS channels, up to that point they had never been proven to have made a false claim. So this hmm. is very serious for ISIS to claim that this was at least ISIS inspired. Right. And they have never falsely done that before. You got to think, okay, there's probably an ISIS element to this. Well. FBI has concluded there was no ISIS element to this. There's no terror element to it. I'm yeah. willing to believe that, okay? But yeah. show me the proof because this is a big deal. This is the United States FBI concluding that for the first time it's been proven that ISIS claimed responsibility for a terror act, and it was bullshit. It wasn't ISIS. That's mm-hmm. very important from an international perspective. It tells you right. – What's going on at ISIS? That you know they're falling. That they're not doing as well. They're they're now scrambling. They're making false claims that they never made false claims before. But right. at least show us the proof of that. So um, anyway, that's. Uh, but you know, if I were just to give you my two cents based on my investigation, yeah, I would like to know what you F- think. Yeah, yeah, based on what the FBI concluded, I basically agree with the FBI's conclusion that yes, this was a guy acting alone. He was a narcissist. He was a psychopath, just like his father, who was on the FBI's most wanted list. They mm-hmm. had major problems in their upbringing, a very bizarre upbringing without their their bank robber father. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was his, – his health was deteriorating, both mental health and physical health. He was a narcissist and, and used to being treated well by the casinos as a high roller. And right. his luck started to turn. The casinos were kind of clamping down on some of. He was he was effectively quote unquote beating the video poker machines. Okay, this guy was such a math whiz, and um, maybe even had a bit of um, um, shoot. What, what's the what's the rain? What did Rain Man have? Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's like counting cards, Savant, but yeah, when, when, I don't yeah, know. So I forget the term for it, but 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 he, he may have had a little bit of that. So anyway, he would spend all nights on the video poker machines, and over years he was beating the casinos. But they essentially kind of caught up with him, and they adjusted some things and adjusted the bonus points and this and that. And so he had been losing; he would lost about six hundred thousand dollars apparently in the year up to the shooting. So he's frustrated with that. So his wealth is going down, his health is going down. And what was wrong with him physically? He, I mean, what was going on with him health-wise? Uh, back, significant back problems. And that may have been genetic because the brother that I interviewed, they, they, you said that you watched. You may have remembered yeah, you talked about his back problems. Uh-huh. Yeah. He just had major back surgery, and the brother was suffering from the same thing. So he basically decides that, you know, hey, if I can't live the lavish lifestyle that I had been living, then I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to check out. This is but a guy this is, with well, very but why friends. kill so many people, though? You know, like. 
Right. That's so, really so, like so now extreme. we understand. Yeah. So now we understand why he wants to commit suicide, and that kind of makes sense. But why yeah. murder suicide? Well, first of all, yeah. murder suicide is crazy common, right? As disgusting as that sounds, and as selfish yeah. as that is, how many people yeah. kill their wife and then kill themselves, kill their whole family yep. and then kill themselves? So it's it's yeah. a thing. For him, the belief is, and this is the FBI themselves saying this, that he wanted infamy. He was going to go out as the greatest mass shooter in American history. That that's oh probably what he that's probably what he wanted because he did not leave a note. So like, wait a minute, you're going to go through all the trouble of planning this thing, and you're not going to leave a note. It doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah, and is it true I that his like, laptop was uh, missing or his hard drive? I, I was I, I clicked on another video. And yes, um, there was a hard drive missing from one of the laptops that was found in the room. And by the way, that hard drive has hard drive has never been recovered. But you know, he could have easily just thrown it in a dumpster. Yeah. Uh, anywhere, and, and that's how he disposed of it. So then the question is, okay, what was on the hard drive? Why was he, he, you know, he like actually broke into his own laptop to take out the hard drive. Wow. Well, child porn was found on the other laptop. So my two cents on that, be my guess would be he thought he got rid of all the child porn. And it turns out there was child porn on the other computer also, or he just got the computers wrong. But, you know, a guy who wants to go out in infamy probably doesn't want to go out with people thinking the guy was a disgusting pedophile. Um, oh, my God. So that his other brother was arrested for that, right? Was That was the court thing. Was, was Bruce was dealing with that. Yep. So the, the, the shooter had that on. Did that ever come out in the news? Yes, it was on. It didn't get as much attention as I would have thought because I think it's mm-hmm. highly significant. My big question about it was, is he um, – is he dealing in pedophilia, you know, uh, or is he just, you know, consuming it? Because he had some, there's a lot of reasons to believe he was involved in some perhaps shady businesses, you know, seemed to have a lot of cash. Is he laundering money through the machines in Vegas? He had two small private planes. He had multiple wow. houses in, in different random areas like Reno and Mesquite, Nevada, and one in Arizona. Uh, he had, property i think in california but you know the other argument is well he was actually a real estate investor um and real estate investors are often trying to launder money and this and that after selling a property or what have you mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah w- was he trafficking in child porn that's definitely wow. a question um but he and his brother the one that i interviewed who w- was facing felony charges of child pornography in yeah. Los Angeles. In fact, that that's how we met him. I sent. I know that's crazy. You want to tell the listeners yeah. like uh, you're the only one who did an interview, and then you gave part of your interview to Fox. So how did you find him? So uh, we were aware through a news article that um, he had been in court, and somehow I think it mentioned actually in the article that the next hearing was going to be you know Tuesday, uh, February 11th okay. or whatever. Yeah. And so I, I sent my uh, assistant over to try to befriend him. And sure enough, there he is sitting in a wheelchair by himself waiting for his lawyer. Mm. And uh, she goes up and starts talking to him. And next thing you know, they're smoking a cigarette together. And um, he ultimately agrees to come on the show. So um, well, you know, he was talking for the first time. And really, I think he wanted to be on to express his condolences to the family. I think mm-hmm. that, frankly, he felt mm-hmm. guilty 
as a family member and felt that yeah. he had an obligation to say something to to the people. Yeah, he, he and, really did. Yeah. I thought it was a very good interview, um, and I'm going to listen to the podcast. Uh, I listened to the podcast. I had to go to court last week out in Pomona for like a sober living fight that's going out in uh, West Covina. And um, I wound up, you know, saying, oh, this is a good time for me to listen. So I listened to the guy who was an FBI. And next, like, um, he was upset about the, the report. It was a it was a podcast rather than on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Could have been Mike Turber. He was like an um, expert. Or, or Doug um, Papa. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember the name, but. He was being um, critical was, of the FBI report. Yeah, yeah, he was, and he was explaining why. And I mean, yeah, I think if you leave out like a lot of stuff, it. it, it but I, I did feel like they dropped it way too soon, and I wanted to know what happened. I wanted to see follow up, and I started to get really mad at you know both CNN and MSNBC, and there were a lot of people who were from Southern California. So then I was watching more like KCAL, like five and nine, because and and that they might cover more, which they did. But that's the problem with this whole Trump thing is that, like you said, you have all of this talk about him. Like I'm watching, like having to turn to PBS NewsHour so that I can hear like something else going on, and it's really frightening that he's hijacking so many other important stories. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, see why you could you could yeah. have a platform here. Yeah. Well, you, say, you say you say he's hijacking. I blame it on the, on the, the media. They're making money off. Of him, you know, I don't think. That yeah, he, I, I agree. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I didn't I mean it to sound he, that way. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I agree with you totally. Uh huh. Yeah, they're making yeah. that decision, and I want to say, like, it, obviously it's making money good. for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was kind of like, really, guys, why are you reporting on his tweeting? Like, you know, the easiest way that you could kind of just shut this down is stop reporting on his tweeting and make the guy have a press conference and come out like a normal president. And like stand there, like the fact that he's they're very manipulated, and a part of me thinks to, I'm starting to like really think like, okay, they're all involved. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> well, they are involved in the sense that I think it's profitable for them. I think CNN in particular. Look, Fox was always conservative, and we knew that, and MSNBC yeah. was always liberal, and we knew that. CNN is one that bothers me. The most trusted name in news is what they like to yeah. say, and mm-hmm. and they have the biggest international presence of of any of the U.S. cable networks. So they have a special obligation, it seems to me, because if you travel internationally, CNN is pretty much what what you're watching if you want U.S. news. But they, in my opinion, have totally jumped the shark. They are more liberal than MSNBC, in my opinion, and so now it's them and MSNBC versus Fox. There's no in, in the middle. I think CNN could have saved their reputation and stayed in the middle and, and done great. But mm-hmm. they chose to go anti-Trump, and there's just no other way of putting it. They, in my opinion, are more anti-Trump than Fox is pro-Trump. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they've forever destroyed a great cable news network that was known for Christiane Amanpour and, and, and reporting from, from war zones and so on. Now yeah. it's more people sitting it's it's Trump's tweet followed huh. by an hour of people talking about it sitting around a desk. You know why? Because it's cheap. It's cheap to do that. You don't need all your foreign correspondents. Mm-hmm. You don't need to report from Syria. We don't need to know what's going on in all these places. All we gotta do is talk about Trump and we'll make lots of money. And that's I feel what they're doing. So who's gonna fill that void? 
Well, fortunately, you do have lots of podcasts out there, such as mine and others that are covering real stories. But, you know, we need right. a ma- another major cable channel. I'm learning more and more about ones because I've been appearing on things and so on. That <clears throat> There's one called News that are, sorry, that are live streaming. Yeah. So there's something called Newsy. I don't know if you've heard of Newsy.com. No, um, I haven't. Yeah, but, you know, there, there's lots of pop-up uh, streaming news services now that do seem to be trying to play to this, you know, idea that, hey, people are tired of only Trump news. They're tired of it all being biased. Um, anyway, I know that's Newsy's mantra, but I would like to see what of HLN, CNN headline news – I thought wasn't bad. That seemed to cover kind of regular stories, but now they've gone to true crime. So <laughs> during the day, it's all this forensic file stuff and true crime really? stuff. Really? Um, you know, who's it? Yeah, Vice? So when Vice morning. first came out, I met like the guys at Vice at like a documentary meetup mm-hmm. that was it was a little conference, and I talked to a guy, and when I told him what my film was about, it wasn't finished. He gave me this look that was like if looks could kill, and I was like, whoa, like. Yeah, well, why would you say that? And I was like, okay, whatever. And, you know, I, I'd really loved them in the beginning and still like some of the reporting, but then when the Me Too movement came, they found that there were like three guys in the head office here that were sexually harassing the women. There was a story that they were originally going to do. There was a woman who was going to expose sexual assault in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it got shut down because her editor squashed it. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, eventually we got a story on Tonic Vice where the woman who did the story uh, was her editor was a woman. So last fall, a piece was written was called Sexual Assault and Alcoholics Anonymous, and so it was really groundbreaking. But I'm with you. I just want to give a little uh, a little shout out to everybody who is listening that who we're talking to. So I'm talking to Jim Breslow, who has um, a new show, relatively new. And it is called Hidden Truth Show. It is on podcasts everywhere, right? I'm going to get, let you actually, you know, promote it here after I finish with this. But it's so you're on YouTube, and you interview people live as well as that. But it's Hidden Truth Show, not the right? Because I think there's others when you put the the into Google searching. Hidden Truth Show on iTunes, and can you just tell us everywhere that people can find it? Yeah, it's pretty much in every podcast app. So Google Play and Pandora and Spotify and uh, on and on and on. And then also we put a lot of the episodes up on YouTube, Hidden Truth Show, and then we got a pretty nice little Facebook page going with a lot of followers commenting on things and so on on, uh, on there. And as we've talked about, we've done dive so far, and we're kind of looking for upcoming subjects. We're a little bit intrigued by, by the Michael Jackson documentary. So yeah. we're looking at possibly digging into that. It's funny. That was something that, so, you know, I've kind of got this laundry list of deep dives of things that just interest me that I think need further investigation. And they're kind of all over the map. So listeners of our show have to be, have to like jumping around to different subjects because, you know, we've done AA 12 step, we've done the transgender movement. We had talked about the California bullet train uh, it did a deep dive on that, but one of the ones. I yeah. Had so what happened with that? At, like I, I saw what you. I just watched uh, last night. I was watching some of them. So you want to tell people what happened with the bullet train? So bullet train is just something that I've been not a fan of from from the moment it was announced. I, you know, my what I like to say is Californians have no problem getting from L.A. to San Francisco. This is a bullet train mm-hmm. that was going to take you from L.A. to San Francisco in three hours time 
Um, I'm like, well, we already get there round trip on Southwest Airlines. It takes less than an hour. It costs less than $200. That's not a problem. Our problem is getting from home to work. Okay, right. some of the worst roads were ranked like ranked like 47th in the country in roads, despite being the wealthiest state by far, as far as no. per capita. Plus, yeah. taxes. we've got gobs and gobs and gobs of money here in California, but we can't get the basics right, which is just basic roads wide enough. To, you know, everybody knows about our the traffic problems, obviously. So anyway, yes, they come yes. the bullet train. Yeah, so they come up with the bullet train. It was a quote-unquote shovel-ready project that was, you know, a post-recession thing where the mm. Obama, you know, prescribed some money for shovel-ready projects. So California raised their hand and said, ours is shovel-ready. Give us the money. Mm. Florida had rejected it. They said, nah, we looked into it. A bullet train just doesn't pencil out. They were looking at Tampa to Orlando. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and federal government was ready to give them money for it. They said, well. thank you. No, we don't want your money. Because most of it still has to come from the state, and it doesn't pencil out. And mm. I think I think Texas was the other state that had said no to it. So California says, "Oh no 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 no, it pencils out. Give it give it to us." So federal government uh, agrees to give the state five billion dollars toward a bullet wow. train. But the more they look into it, they realize that wait a minute, this thing can't be completed. You know, within ten years by twenty twenty, mm-hmm. uh, this is going to take till twenty forty. And this thing oh can't God. be done for this can't thing can't be done for thirty three billion dollars. It's going to cost ninety billion dollars. And by the way, this thing can't get from L.A. to San Francisco in two hours and fifty minutes. It's going to take three and a half hours because at this spot it has to go slow, and at this spot it has to go slow. And by the way, we're not sure if we're ever going to be able to you know afford the land here, here, here. I mean, just just a mess in yeah. every way that it could be yeah. a mess. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to. Expose that, and then somewhat coincidentally, we get our new governor in place, Newsom, and he comes out. and We were wondering how he was going to come up on, on the bullet train because this has been a Democrat initiative. His predecessor, Jerry Brown, was a huge backer of it, so it's going to be hard for him to distance himself from this thing. Mm-hmm. But Newsom's a smart guy, and he's a businessman, and so sure enough, he finally comes out. And says this thing does not pencil out. It's not going to work. We we can't continue as we've been going. We you know L.A. to San Francisco is not viable as currently planned, et cetera. So the next thing he needed to say was, and therefore we're ending the project. But that's not what he said. What he said was as stupid, if not more, than the bullet train itself. He said, but we're not going to stop. We're going to finish Bakersfield to Merced. We're going to finish bigger because, and he flat out says this, which is even stupider. I have mm. no interest in sending Donald Trump back his three and a half billion dollars. Oh so here God. the idiot shows his hand and explains right. the only reason I'm going to complete this is so I don't have to give Donald Trump. He doesn't say the federal government. He says Donald Trump. So then he unnecessarily politicizes it and pokes the bear. Right. It <laughs> says I don't want to give Donald Trump back. Is three and a half billion, and then furthermore, in a tweet later, because he starts getting heat for all that, he goes, "I think Trump just wants the three and a half billion for his wall." So now he's really poking the bear unnecessarily. Yeah. Like, you know that might be good for your political career, my friend, but is that good for Californians to to to, to lose yeah. this three and a half billion? Because guess what, federal government's going to take it back now. So yeah. and, and rightly so. Because we're not doing the project we told them that we're going to do. 
It's not Bakersfield. And he's going to continue to blow more billions on Bakersfield to Merced. What I like to say is you could have a healthy debate about whether really? there should be a bullet train between what, what, what I was going to say. You could have a healthy debate whether there should be a bullet train between L.A. and San Francisco. I think it's stupid, but you could you could have a, a debate. I could, it's debatable. But Bakersfield to Merced, that's no. a joke. <laughs> yeah, that is a yeah, joke. that's a total joke. I mean, uh, uh, just switching topics. So you you interviewed. I was just realized this whole thing with the transgender. Um, and I, I actually I'm going to listen to those and watch what you have. So you interviewed um, Caitlyn Jenner's uh, partner currently current partner or yes current um, partner Sophia Hutchins. She, um, who's you know, who's um, having her 23rd birthday um, this month? Well, she's Caitlin, only 23. Caitlyn. She's turning. She's turning 23. Caitlin is mid to late 60s. Um, oh now God. there's some question about what is the extent of this partnership. Um, and, and naturally, I asked that question. But they they live together, mm-hmm. and uh, Sophia is her is Caitlin's manager. Um, and I asked about it being a romantic relationship, and she said, "Well, I wouldn't describe it that way. We share a life together." We share a dog together. We share business together, interest, blah, 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 blah. But I wouldn't label it romantic. So I don't know what to make of that. TMZ picked up the story and made a big headline out of Sophia Hutchins denies romantic relationship with Caitlin um, because I think they found that kind of absurd because what do you mean? You guys are living together. How is this not romantic? And, you know, to say that you share a life with someone, I mean, if someone was your roommate, would you say that you share a life together? You know, that sounds like more. Exactly. So why she's not willing to confirm it's romantic. I don't know if that's orders from Caitlin that she just doesn't feel like dealing with the heat associated with that. I mean, you know, that's a that's a huge, huge age difference. Yeah, um, that's really that's pretty strange. I, I mean, out of all the things that you discovered out of that deep dive, uh what were what were a couple of things that were the biggest shockers for you? Yeah, well, again, I would say I've already kind of addressed it a, a bit, but it was um this idea of uh the LGBT activists really hijacking major medical associations and having them say what they want to say. And, and members don't, don't agree, but you know, you're not going to speak up against, in, you know, in these institutions and especially the higher levels where it's very political and very academic, you know, it, it's not really good for your career to speak out against LGBT activists. So I think that they're not giving proper advice uh, regarding what to do with uh, with children who are suffering from gender dysphoria, because there's a certain cause of gender dysphoria. There's ways to treat it and deal with it, and the idea of embracing it and saying that oh, if your boy is having feelings of being a girl, that's perfectly normal and perfectly natural, and the best thing to do is embrace that. Um, is just been proven wrong by people who have done serious scientific inquiry into it. So that's one. Yeah, it was pretty scary. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I was going to just like say quickly. I had a um, a psychiatrist contact me 
because he was really being screwed by the it's like I guess it's the American Psychiatric Society or I'm trying to look a national it was more of a national association and told me you know Monica you know mine is not about AA but they are all about AA did you know that the National Society of Psychiatry pushes that everybody should tell people to go to AA and I was like no I didn't know that and like I don't really need to hear that but uh, because I'm already pretty you know down about how much they they've inf- infiltrated and like the American Society of Addicted Medicine and so people think this is really a American Society of Addicted Medicine like that it would be something governmental whatever and it's filled with many many steppers or stepper lovers the creator of it Ruth Fox was what they called a friend of AA in the 50s and as I found out as each level you know I went and so when you told me that about the transgender thing and that they had sort of um, taken over the pediatric right the the national American Academy of Pediatrics yep right 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 that you then it started to make sense why I would talk to mothers I was at a writing conference and I met a mom who told me that her you know, it was a, te- a late teenage daughter, and I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. So you're telling me that you're going to allow, and I said, first of all, for me, somebody would have to be 21. Like, you need to go through life. Like, if you want to dress like a guy or you want to dress more feminine, um, that's certainly um, acceptable in some states. Like, there's states it's not still, you know, Indiana. I mean, there's plenty of states where if you're gay, it's still really a tough go, but um, I was really shocked that um, she was going to go down this road. I, I think somebody should be able to really grow into their body and their mind and be an adult. I thought that was the law, you know, that you couldn't begin um, changing your body until you were over 21. But I guess that's not yeah. True well, anymore. two. I just made a I just made a note here of, of, of two great connections between the two. So. This transgender issue and the AA issue and so on. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, there seems to be this belief that, you know, only LGBT people are qualified to talk about Mm -hmm. LGBT issues. Okay. Mm -hmm. Same thing with addiction. That, oh, only addicts, and that's what AA is, they're all addicts. Right or, right or recovering mm-hmm. addicts. Right. They're the one, they're yeah. somehow put on a pedestal as that they're better qualified to talk about addiction than others. And I think that's probably because I'm hearing this for the first time from you, and it makes sense to me though that you're saying that to some extent, AA has hijacked these institutions. And oh, you know yeah, somebody right, but yeah. you know they're all recovering addicts, so they're arguably more expert than others at it so that would be the argument so that's one one point i like to make the, the other is that that you know child that that trauma that both are ignoring childhood traumas it's it's my opinion based upon lots of experts that i interviewed that it is childhood traumas early early childhood traumas that lead to gender dysphoria and i think there's lots of connection between childhood trauma and addictions that's a, a, a threat, and that's another thing. You know that AA, as far as I know, doesn't encourage people to go get one-on-one counseling regarding childhood traumas. No, yeah, for the for the most part. Well, as as a society, 
or as an institution, it absolutely does not. And only in, I would say, the last, there's still meetings in meeting places where the big book thumping is happening and you're told that you're not working the program and just do another fourth or fifth step or be of more service, that they are not going to go down, they're going to victim blame uh, maybe a person who was molested or has trial, you know, or somebody who was raped, what's your part in it? There's a lot of stuff that is still going on. And yet, like I said in, in my interview with you, that in a sane, a decent, probably small meeting uh, of women, and, and you know, you're going to have and maybe some guy meetings, people know that people should go get therapy, right? Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it, they, they are too big. And people, the problem is that people in AA don't think it's as big as it is. They're sort of insulated. Um, there's a couple of subjects, boy, that I can think of uh, deep diving. One would be the homelessness and low income and affordable income in downtown Los Angeles and all the money that uh, they have down there. That's a huge, uh, mm, that's a huge beast of corruption going on. And then the sober living rehab. I know you did business of recovery, but there's this whole other level since uh, the. Was there was in 2016 something kicked in? Was it the not just Obamacare, but the whole sober living racket just really exploded? Are, are there added, like federal dollars now going to it? Uh, they have figured a way to get an IOP, which stands for intensive outpatient, to illegally pay for the rent. And we could talk about this off air, um, and I'll give you all the information and people that you could talk to. But the, one of the other tub, subjects that you, before we have like eight minutes left here or whatever, um, is that possibly like uh, lip sync fraud is one. Is that something upcoming mm-hmm. you could talk about or the Michael Jackson and pedophilia? I mean, well, th- those are the two that we're working on. We, uh, I've got actually a, an interview tomorrow on the Michael Jackson thing with uh, one of his security guards uh, who wrote a book about his life. Um, believe it or not, the guy did not sign an NDA. And a non-disclosure agreement, and, and there's a little story about wow. why he didn't sign or how he got away with not signing it because they were they urgently needed new security and they just hired these guys and rushed them in. And by the time Michael kind of got settled and got a new manager and the guy had already been a security guard for a year, they they put a non-disclosure in front of him. He said, "No, I'm not." signing that and michael liked him so much that he didn't want him to leave so he said okay fine you don't need to sign it so that's why this guy was able to write a book but he he spent the final years with michael jackson i read the book actually and what's the name um, of the book oh jeez let me think the name of the book uh i don't uh shoot I don't know, but if you just put in Michael Jackson and Amazon and look at the books, you'll see the one that's written by two security guards uh, that um, were with him at the end. So, but but they they he's coming on the show to defend him. So he's watched the documentary and he's basically going to defend Michael. And look, I believe that in his time in caring for Michael, that's when Michael had his children. And he, he, he says that he was a good parent. Now, he, he, there's lots of major oddities that he points out in the book. And, he, and Michael Jackson would disappear for days on end. You know, obviously, he was a drug addict at the end and died of the propofol overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
but he will actually say, absolutely say they never saw anything, you know, that would indicate in any way that he was a pedophile. But, you know, my theory would be having watched the full four hour documentary of the two guys that accuse him, which is incredibly compelling. And I don't, it's, it's almost yeah. impossible not to believe them after having watched it. Right. But that once Michael had his own children, that, and also, you know, was hooked on major opioids that, you know, he, he, he didn't, you know, abuse any children from that point forward. Um, and that would be the explanation as to why this guy didn't see anything. Um, but anyway, yeah, we, we, we think getting the truth out about that, because I, I do think that, you know, with, with the, the Catholic Church scandal and, and so on, and now you got the R. Kelly thing is that, um, you know, it's unbelievable how people tend to cut slack to, ped- to pedophiles. I mean, nobody wanted to believe Michael was a pedophile because we love his music. I love his music. I saw him on the bad tour. I, you know, I want to be able to enjoy his music guilt free, but I'm not going to put my head in the sand and deny the truth. And yeah, I, yeah, I never really, is, I, I always felt that he was guilty. I mean, so did you know that Elton John's security guard um, actually had a lawsuit against him for being sexually harassed by Elton John? Well, that's certainly not surprising. And did you ever wonder, <laughs> like, when the, the Me Too move? No, he was an adult, but the guy grabbed him. The Me Too movement in the music industry has never really, like, if you were going to say the Me Too movement is having a, a, a second coming or a coming, let's say a first coming, would be that R. Kelly's thing is now coming and that uh, this Michael Jackson story, the Elton John thing was squashed, but the singer story with um, the guy who directed. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody yes, was Brian really right. I mean, I, did you read the Atlantic article about him? I have not. I just know. Oh all my of God! For what you do, yeah, it's a, it's compelling. So th- there were two investigative journalists. They spent a year on it, and I have been following the story about Singer since it first came out because I found it. Well, because I've gone down this you know rabbit hole with AA and sexual predation and also sexual exploitation and rape. So that you, like, every time it would come up with somebody, including Elton John, and then they get poo-pooed, with Singer, Brian Singer, it happened before the Me Too movement happened, so that they were just like, oh, you know, oh, he was just a drug addict, that kid became an alcoholic and went to AA, and so what does he know? And, you know, that story is unbelievable. Those kids were young. What happened on that first movie that he made is really bad. They were 12-year-old. They all were told... Mm that they were going to have bathing suits on for that scene. And then they were told by the whole, by the crew that were there, she had your first AD and your second AD, they had to take off their underwear. This is an, 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 a movie, a Hollywood, a, a regular film. This is not a porn. And the kids... And when did the Atlantic article come out? Uh, the Atlantic article came out, I want to say about a month ago. You can just put in mm-hmm. Brian Selleck. I could send you the link when we're done. But so the heat, we are going to have to wrap it up. Yeah, what's that? The heat is getting turned up on him. He, he he's he's going to finally go down. You think? Brian Singer. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I think that, uh, and you know, I don't want the public opinion to be our judge, jury, and executioner. But if our courts cannot arrest a pedophile and a rapist, what else is going to happen in our society? I mean, we see with you know whatever happened to uh, Bill Cosby. It took so long. So, so long. And all the Seth MacFarlane, you know, joked about him on the show. You had all these uh, stand-ups who knew. 
and it, it just took what it took. But I want to thank you because we're running out of time. So we were talking to Jim Breslow, and he has his own show on all the, the Hidden Truth show. You can see him on YouTube and on all the podcasts. It's a fantastic show. But he did a deep dive into AA, which I'm like, woohoo, as well as the Las Vegas shooting transgender movement and the bullet train. And upcoming is going to be Michael Jackson. I want to thank you. Thank you so much. Monica, so much fun. All right. All right. We'll see you again. All right, everybody. See you back back here in podcast land. And good good day to everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye.